you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I believe that's on 955. If you're turning there and we're looking at this passage, I would say to you it appears that this is a teaching of Paul's that possibly he had used at numerous times. And as he was going through the writing of 1 Corinthians, just in a sense, plug this in at this point. Because if you'll look at it, you'll see that it has a very clear introduction. It has three points and a conclusion. So Paul is going to say by way of introduction that the body is not meant for immorality. Then he has three questions that he's going to ask that outline the passage. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And then he asks, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Then he asks, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And then he concludes, so glorify God in your body. Um, he begins with a negative and he ends with a positive. And it just has the appearance of, of just such a, a perfect sense of structure that more than likely Paul has used this passage in the very same way on numerous occasions. Let me read this beginning at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Some years ago, I would preached a sermon on this or a similar text. And when the sermon was over, uh, a young woman in her 20s, she had just finished graduate school and was right embarking on her career, she walked up and she said, may I speak to you about your sermon? I said, sure. And we made arrangements to go to one of the officers in the church, 
home. So later in the week, we met in the home, and the officer and his wife were going to and fro throughout the house, and we sat in the front room of the house, and, and we talked, and here's basically what she said. She said, um, I was very immoral during my junior high years and during my high school years. And she said, I went away to university and immediately came in contact with Reform University Fellowship as soon as I got on campus, and I came to faith in Christ. And everything changed in my life, and every aspect of this immoral behavior changed. So she said, but during that same time, there was a young man, and he and I it appeared that our relationship had grown to the point where everybody basically thought that we were close to becoming engaged and some people that knew my story advised me that I should tell him uh, what had happened during my junior high and high school years. She said, so I met with him and I told him all this that had happened and when this was done, he stood up and he looked at me and he said, I could never have anything to do with a person like you. And he shunned her for the rest of the time they were in college. So I said, so your, your question, she says, where do I stand now? Who am I? I says, well, it sounds to me like you're saying you're in the gutter. And she says, yes. I said, well, you know, every once in a while, even somebody as thick-headed as me, the Lord can speak to and do that for you, too. But he did it for me then. And just immediately, I said to this young lady, no, Jesus has made you his pedestal girl. You're not in the gutter. You're his pedestal girl, and you need to see it that way. And I took her to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, where the writer of the book of Hebrews says that how much more will the blood of Christ, who offered himself by the Holy Spirit, cleanse your conscience from dead works that you can serve the living God? And I said, you see, what, what Jesus has done for you in the shedding of his blood is not something superficial but radical. It has the ability for you to have your conscience cleansed from these things that were part of your past. The Lord has put you on a pedestal. And I said, now, there's another passage, and we turn to chapter 10, verse 22 of the book of Hebrews, and there it says, let us draw near with faith. That is, let us draw near to Christ, Jesus, with faith, with full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I says, that's what Jesus has done for you, and that's what Jesus wants you to take away from this. Your heart has been cleansed, your conscience has been cleansed, and your body has been washed with pure water. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away, and new things have come to you. You're a new person in Christ. Christ has put you on a pedestal, and that's how you should consider yourself going forward. Well, look at this passage with me in verse 9. Here you have a list of people. 
they're unrighteous people. They were immoral. They were idolaters. Some homosexual people. They were greedy. There's some drunkards. There's some swindlers. Now, you know, unfortunately for me, I don't get to run into all those people. I deal with the seniors in this church. They may have been one of these things, but they're not telling. Now, here's the thing. Where's the future of the culture of our church? It's with those people. You see these people? These people need to be filling these pews. That's who needs to be here. You see, many of us have been in this situation. But you see what it's saying here in verse 11? Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Do you see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all persons of the Trinity, are involved in our transformation? You see this language heaped up here. It's like a double handful of heaped up with help. It's heaped up help for you. When you look and you say, this is what Jesus has done for me. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. I am in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have the spirit of our God. That's what this passage is about. Now, when we look at this passage of scripture and we come to it, we, we see that we're living in a sex-saturated culture. And you may say, well, what should I do? How can I live in this culture such as it is? And the thing that you need to do is basically you, you need to fill your mind. You need to fill your heart. Now, there's a literary figure from the 1700s, and he wrote this little line, and it's very helpful. This man said, reading makes the full man. And you can just Google that, and the rest of it will come up. Reading makes the full man. Writing makes the exact man. And speaking makes the ready man. But the foundation is reading. You read the word of God... You displace the thoughts of this world with the word of God. That's one of the things that you do. The other thing is you pray simply. Now, since such may some of you be, you may need to pray, Lord, help me to stop looking at pornography. You may need to pray something simple like that. There probably are more that would just need to pray simply, Lord, help me not to think of people in, in sexual manners, not to exploit them with my look and with my thoughts. Help me to, to be the person that you want me to be in regards to my body and the passions that I have. Help me, keep me, Lord, use me, amen. Just a practical prayer. And this is how in our sex-dominated you know, culture we need to live. We need to think. Now, as we get into this passage, I want you to think with me for just something that just transpired here a few minutes ago. Just a few minutes ago, we saw these children come up here. 
and they all kind of congregated and they came up in different ways. I was watching you all. You're all dead giveaways. You all were thinking, how cute, right? How cute. Well, just honestly, how do you know they're cute? You don't know they're cute. You say, oh, John, it's self-evident. It's obvious that they're cute. Just look at their little bodies. They're so cute in their little bodies and the way they parade up here so differently, dress so differently. They're just cute. That's true. They are. You know, they're going to get a little older. They're going to be preteens. Do you know they're going to be just as cute being preteens? They're going to be just as cute. Now, just honestly, every one of us has a body, and that body is just as precious to Jesus as those little bodies, and we need to be aware of that. Our bodies are precious to Jesus. We've got to keep that in our mind. Now, just think with me for a minute. Would, would you think it was right for anybody to abuse one of these little children's bodies? Would you want that one of these little children would grow up and would begin to abuse their body? I know. And it's the same way with all of us. We should not abuse other people's bodies, and we should not allow anybody else to be abusing our body. Our bodies are important to the Lord. It's eight times in this passage that the reference is going to be to the body, your body, my body. So as we move ahead, let's, let's think of this. Now, as we come to look at this, you see in the introduction here, he's going to lead to this idea that our body is not made for sexual immorality. But look what he's saying. All things are lawful to me. You see that? All things are lawful to me. Twice it said. The idea here, that this was some slogan that was a part of the culture of Corinth at the time. The body or the stomach is for the food. The food is for the stomach. This was one of their slogans. But Paul is saying these things don't necessarily aren't profitable for him. They're not advisable to use the body in that way. But then he makes the transition from the stomach directly to the body. And he, and he says in this introduction, you know, there's, well, first, that all this other is going to be destroyed, but the body is not meant for sexual, sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body because God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, the idea there is that our body is for the Lord. That's what it's for. Now, let me give you a couple practical ideas of what this means. Last night, my wife, with her body, went into the kitchen, and she made some of the most drop-dead, good-tasting cookies that you would ever put in your mouth. But she did it with her body. Now, if the weather doesn't forbid it later today, that same wife of mine with her body is going to take those cookies out to some people that are in their 80s and 90s at the, the village, and we're going to have a Bible study and refreshments, and those cookies are going to go from her hand to their hand, and they're going to feel well ministered to. You see that? Now, why is your body for the Lord? 
It's because the Lord extends the kingdom of God in the world through your body. He does it by you doing all the things that you do in making a good impression with your body to other people, and they begin to notice that you are a Christian person and that you're using your body in a way that is different and for the glory of the Lord in all these little subtle ways that you minister to people. It's the Lord working through your body to extend his kingdom. Now, the Lord is for your body. The Lord on that cross, what? His body was crucified on that cross for you. He died in a body that you would have eternal life in your body. That's what Christ Jesus has done for you. He is all about for your body. So when you come to the conclusion of this, you see too the nature of the difference between temporal things and lasting things. Yes, the food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but it's only temporal. But the body is the body that is going to be raised by the power of God in just the same way that God raised the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your body is going to endure. Your body is going to experience resurrection. Your body is incredibly valuable to the Lord. Now you come to this first point, and he asks the question, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Well, that's what we're to understand. When Christ ascended into heaven, in the body, he sent his spirit into our bodies, from his body into our bodies, and we became members of the Lord. Now, he asks very quickly then, shall I take the members of Christ, because that's what we are, and make them members of a prostitute? And he says, never. Now, we don't have a lot of prostitutes around here. There's some. They're out of sight most of the time. But the thing is greater than that. It's all about the entirety of sexual immorality. Well, last week, we had my nephew and his wife and two children. They are Wycliffe missionaries in Chiang Mai, Thailand. You don't go as a man, you just don't, as a Christian man, you just don't go out at night to Chiang Mai, Thailand. The place is completely covered with prostitutes. Corinth was completely filled with prostitutes. Prostitutes were a part of their everyday culture. Immorality is what's a part of our everyday culture. And, and so what we're saying is, should we take the members of Christ and, and join them to a prostitute? And you get this sense of never, but you say, well, that is a very strong never. It's, it's really a part of a philosophical argument. Now, this is just, just a freebie here. You get a philosophy lesson in church this morning. But this is an argument that is known as the impossibility of the contrary argument. Don't you like that? Stick that in your head. The impossibility of the contrary argument. You look at this and you say, take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? Well, never. It's universally a, no, that's not what you do. Well, that's very clear, isn't it? Now, the second thing that we want to see here, Paul moves along and he asks this question. 
Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Now, what is that? That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's inside marriage, and that's totally proper, but outside of marriage, it's never proper. That's what Paul's saying here. It should be very clear and very self-evident. And, and so it says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with her, him, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, when we see this, you have a command here. We are great Presbyterians, and we explain things to death from the pulpit. We illustrate forever from the pulpit, but we're not really good at saying, do this, don't do that. But here's Paul, and that's exactly what he's doing. When you see the words flee immorality here, again, this isn't something that Paul invented. It's something Paul learned from childhood. This is the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, what did he do? He fled. What should you do? You should flee any form of temptation or involvement with sexual immorality. That's what he's saying. Notice every other sin. Now this is another philosophical argument, but we'll skip that. But this is a, a clearly a philosophical, theological argument. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But this sin is a sin against the body. You could go back to this list in chapter, uh, the, verse 9 and 10, and you can say, well, what about being a, a drunkard? No, that's not a sin against the body, but... Homosexuality is a sin against the body. Well, what about being a swindler? No, that's not a sin against the body. But what about immorality? Yep, that's a sin against the body. And, and so what you're seeing is there's different types of sin. And this one is set apart by itself. All forms of sexual immorality are being set off as a sin against the body and ought to be something that we understand and, well, we act appropriately. We don't get involved in that. Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is dealing with this passage of thou shalt not commit adultery, there's two poetic pieces that reinforce one the other, where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble in this sexual area, pluck it out and throw it away from you, it is better for you to enter heaven maimed than hell whole. Then he reiterates, or iterates, he says, you know, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away from you. It is better for you to enter eternal life maimed than into hell whole. Now, honestly, to you in life, what is more valuable than your right eye or your right hand. Hardly anything. Now, if you just happen to be left-handed, just switch. 
and you'll get it. Don't, don't, don't think you're going to get off on this thing, so just switch. But you see what he's saying here? So we, we understand that we don't do these kind of things. We save ourselves for our mates, and we belong to our mates, and that's it, period. Thirdly, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you, who you have from God? You are not your own. Here is the language that is the highest expression of Christian personal sexual ethic. You have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come into you. Now we say typically, what, what, who owns whatever's in the temple? And it's pretty simple. Whatever is in the temple is owned by the Lord. And we are the temple of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has come into us and has taken possession of us, and we belong to him. Now, there's an interesting little thing here as you go through this text. When you come to this, this third point, everything of immorality is left. It's like when Paul begins to talk about the temple of the Holy Spirit, it seems to be too holy for him to reinsert this understanding of immorality into the equation any further. It just leaves us that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is who you are. This is why you can say and why you can think of yourself as being on a pedestal. This is what has been done for us. This is what's been done for me. This is what's been done for you. This is who we are. I was 22 and a half, and I was converted. Things had to change. I had to change my play. I had to change my play pen. I had to change my pals. There was no other way. You, you, there's no living in both worlds. This is what it means to be in league with Jesus. Before I was converted, I was, well, in one spirit with Jesus. It means to be in league with him. And when I, before I was converted, I was in league with all these people that were drinking and carousing and doing all manner of things that were inappropriate, and now Christ has come into my life, and I changed, and all these things changed, and now I'm in league with Christ. I'm one spirit with him. And I went and identified with Christ and his people and his church. Now you see at the end here, it just ends very simply. You were bought with a price. What does that mean? You were bought with a price. You know what it means. The blood of Jesus Christ is our ransom. It cleanses us from all sin. You are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Use your body. Think of your body as a tool for the extension of the kingdom and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in a sick, saturated, and distorted culture in which we can shine like lights in a dark world. 
Think of your body and think of your body as a tool of the Lord and you will find it very, very fulfilling to give your body to the service of Christ in that manner. Well, let's pray. Now, Father, that you have cleansed and renewed us and set us on a pedestal, a pedestal that leads us to eternal life through Christ our Lord and your Holy Spirit, and we give you thanks. But now use us. We live in a world that needs us living for the glory of Christ. We pray in his name with thanksgiving for what has been done for us and still to be done for us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Let's